How's everybody doing? It is great to have you here at Baylife Church on this Labor Day weekend. Thanks for showing up and uh, being a part of our opportunity to serve and worship God. If you have your Bibles, you can start with me today in Luke chapter 22 as we continue this series that we started a few weeks ago called New and Improved. We're talking about this new life that we have as Christians, if we are Christians. And if you're not a Christian yet, I pray that today is the day uh, where you make that decision and you understand this is the life uh, that you were created to live. But uh, uh, if, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, our lives have been made new. We actually talked about that the f- first week. We are new creations. The old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Uh, we're on the way to becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like we were. And for us to be uh, fulfillers of God's destiny for us, for us to become all that he desires us to be, We've got to remember that our motivations are get to and got to. We, we get to do all these things in Christ by his grace and, and through his strength and through his power. We can become all that he wants us to be. But we've got to remember that this, this exchanged life that we have with Christ, we gave him our sin-riddled and destined for eternity without him life, and he gave us Christ. He gave us eternity with him. And in that existence, we have this responsibility, this, this calling. We have been bought with a price. We're going to read that verse today in the sermon. We've been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. And so uh, it's, it's on us in the get-tos and the got-tos uh, to live as new creations. Last week we talked about the new commandment. Anybody remember what that was? What's the new commandment? Anybody remember? Love. Who said love? Winners. Excellent. Uh, yeah, to love. Uh, love one another despite uh, who the one another's are, even if they uh, rooted for the wrong team yesterday or... Uh, uh, even if they're, you know, they vote different than us or, or whatever the differences are, we love them. We love one another. Uh, just as Jesus has loved us. Bar just went up right there. Everybody get that? Love like Jesus loves is a different kind of love than you and I are used to. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's, it's uh, active. It's not just thought and felt. It's lived out. And so we talked about that last week and we're going to talk about it a little bit more today. But today we want to talk about this other new thing that we have in this new and improved life with Christ. And it's this new covenant. A new covenant. The Bible talks a lot about covenants. A guy named Noah, uh, he got one. Uh, when God flooded the earth, he told Noah, I'll never do that again. A guy named Abraham, he got one. He says, I'm going to use your descendants uh, to bring forth my plan in the world. A guy named David got one. There's a bunch of covenants. But then you get to Luke chapter 22, and Jesus says, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm given a new covenant. And he talks about it in the context of what we're going to celebrate at the end of our service today, the Lord's Supper. He, he was at Passover, a Jewish festival that he and his Jewish brothers uh, had celebrated all of their lives. And uh, he was at that feast, and he said, you know what, I'm going to take everything that we have been using to commemorate that, that, uh, that momentous occasion in Egypt for uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, actually, uh, their descendants had been rescued from slavery in Egypt uh, due to the Passover, the last plague of the, of the plagues that, you know, uh, emancipated the Jews from, from the hand of Pharaoh was the, was the plague where the eldest son and everybody's family uh, was condemned to death by God unless, as the Jews were told, you, you put some lamb's blood over the doorpost. It's in there. Read it. It's in the book of Exodus and uh, anybody whose house had that sign, they were, they were blessed and they were, they were passed over. And so this feast had been celebrated for all these years, commemorating the, the, the goodness of God of passing over those homes. And, uh, and Jesus says, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to take a 1,400-year-old feast and I'm going to make it 
about something different. It's going to be about this new covenant that's in my blood. Let's read the verses together in chapter 22 of Luke, verse 19. If you're there with me, read along, or if you want to look at the screens, your option. It says, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to do that at the end of our service. And likewise, the cup, this, this cup that had symbolized so many things in the Passover feast, he took that same cup, and after they had eaten, uh, he passed it to them, and he said this, this cup that is poured out for you is the, say it with me, new covenant in my blood. He flipped the script. This is, this is a pretty audacious deal that he's doing here, just so we're clear. This would be like me saying to you as our church, hey, you know, and I'm not saying this. Everybody, everybody got that at the front end? It's like me saying this. I'm not saying this. But this Christmas, because I'm such a great pastor, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop celebrating the birth of Christ, and we're going to celebrate my birthday. Okay? Yeah, everybody, does that make everybody feel a little, little like, ooh, hey, Mark, everybody putting out the lightning rods so that they don't get hit when God strikes me? Right? Okay. But that's on par with what this carpenter from, you know, Nazareth uh, just told his Jewish friends. Hey, pals, this, this feast that you've been celebrating for 1,400 years, it's been about this one thing in our, Jew, in, our, in our history, it's now about me. It's about my sacrifice. And, and even as they're hearing it, you can, it's hard for us to appreciate. These guys are sitting at Passover. They thought they were just hanging out. Been a great week. Jesus has been, you know, palm fronds and all that stuff. Been a great week. Uh, you know, all arrows up. But Jesus finishes the night of Passover by saying, hey guys, it's all coming to an end. My purpose is going to be fulfilled this night. I'm going to be taken into captivity. Tomorrow I'm going to be crucified. My body's going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be shed for you. And it's all so that we can have this new covenant through my sacrifice. Now, now, when we think of a covenant, we've got to ask this question, what is it? What's a covenant? Turn to someone next to you and uh, try to figure out in just a few moments here, what's a covenant? Tell, t- tell each other what you think it is. Go ahead. All right. Anybody want to throw out an answer? It's Labor Day weekend. We're going to get loose. Anybody want to throw out? What's a covenant? A pro- who said promise? Who said promise? Anybody say a promise? Totally a part of it. We're going to see that in just a second when I give you the definition I wrote. What else is a covenant? Yeah. Say, say that again. Solemn agreement. I like agreement. And, and solemn certainly is a part of it. You're covering, anybody else got something different? Sacred. Contract. I like contract too. Well done. What a smart church. Way to go. Seriously. Uh, Here's what I wrote down, uh, and I based it on some things that I've read this week. But a covenant is an arrangement or a contract or an agreement uh, that is rooted in a promise. Uh, In in Bible stuff, it's certainly solemn and sacred and all those other things you described, but but it's basically a deal. It's like, okay, here's, anybody ever say that to someone? Here's the deal. And you go on to describe, here's your part, here's my part, and here's how it's going to work, I promise. Right? Like with my kids, uh, it was time for them to get cars. Uh, so that they could drive around and I wouldn't have to drive them around anymore. Uh-huh. Um, I said to them, here's the deal. The deal is this. Amber alert, is that what's going on right now? Everybody watching online, there's an amber alert right now here in our church. Okay. Um, here's the deal. If you, uh, if you bring X amount of dollars, which for us was, was half, we're not giving away cars in my house, you don't get a free car. 
But if you bring, if you bring half the amount, I, as your parent, will try to help you because I don't want to drive you around anymore, okay? So here's my half, here's your half, here's how we'll structure it so that you don't have to come up with everything at once. You can pay me. In fact, I'll make it even interest-free, right? Because I'm just that great a dad. That's how it works. And, and that's the deal. And so it, it, I promise you a car. Here it is. You promise me to pay. And listen, you've, you've made those kind of deals at actual uh, car dealerships. And, and what happens if you don't keep up your end of the deal? If you don't pay, guess what happens to your car? Someone comes in the middle of the night and takes it back, right? And, and covenants are meant to be kept. They're, they're brokered, uh, and, and there's a promise tied to them, but they're meant to be kept on both sides. You can break a covenant. You can break a promise. You can step outside of an arrangement. Well, Jesus instituted this new covenant, as we just read, uh, between us and God. I'll read the verse again for you. It's in Luke 22.20. I just read it. Likewise, after the cup, uh, uh, likewise, the cup after they had eaten, uh, he passed it, and he said, this cup is poured out for you one more time, and it is the, say it with me, the new covenant of my blood. Uh, this is the new promise. The new ag- agreement is going to be set in place. Uh, uh, the new agreement, essentially, is what we talk about all the time here on Sundays. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that we who are lost in our sin uh, can be saved, can be rescued from the penalty of our sin by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus paid the price that you and I would have paid for our sin on the cross. It's talked about in several different places in Scripture, but I was reading John chapter 1 with a guy that I met with yesterday, and uh, we read this as we were studying it. It says, but to all who did receive Jesus... Uh, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, what? Children of God. So what's our part? We receive. What's our part? We believe in his name. What's Jesus' part? Well, he has the power as a son of God to graft us into the family of God, to make us sons and daughters by saving us from our sin. <laughs> this new covenant is, is the source of every sermon that I preach, or it should be, it should be the thing that I point you back every time that I'm talking to you. It is our hope. It is our amazing grace. Can everybody agree with me on that? This is what we are celebrating here on a weekly basis, daily basis, minute-by-minute basis, that we've been saved by grace through the new covenant. But you know what? Uh, humans are notorious for wanting to go back to the old. Isn't that true? Like uh, early on in the story of the early church, there was lots of consternation because People couldn't reconcile the new covenant, the new follow Jesus and him alone, uh, with the old covenant, which was keep the laws and keep the rules and be Jewish. Read the book of Galatians. It's all about that, about how they couldn't reconcile the two. And so they kept trying to add the old to the new. And, And when they did that, like it says in Galatians, it says a little bit of leaven. Maybe you read that in your life groups this week as you did that study on the new improved. A little bit of yeast. Uh, works its way through the whole dough. A little bit of the old can wreck the new because just a little bit is enough to contaminate the whole. Uh, We need to understand the difference between the old and the new covenants. Let me kind of give you, I'm borrowing liberally from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's he's just a little preacher. Um, But uh, uh, he he taught on this, and so I'm, I'm stealing, just outright stealing some of his stuff. And he talked about the old covenant as being the temple model. Okay, and he says, not just the Jewish faith, but almost every religion in the world is set up 
in the temple model. It's, it's set up like the old covenant that the Jews uh, were, were saved from and we were saved from uh, in the new covenant, all right? Uh, the, the old covenant, its, it's staples are this. There's, there's sacred places, holy spots. You know, in, in the Jewish faith, it was what? The temple, yeah. It's, it's, that's where God resided. And if you wanted to deal with God, you had to go to the holy spot and give your sacrifices and make your prayers and all those things, and that's where that took place. There was holy spots, sacred places. Uh, in, the, in the old covenant or the temple model, there's sacred commandments. There's rules. And, and certainly those standards uh, still pertain to today. I'm not saying that we've wiped out the rules. Some of you are like, wow, no more rules? Awesome. New covenant. I dig this. No, there's still standards that we're meant to live by. But in the Old Covenant, the rules were perceived as the means by which I could obtain my righteousness. If I keep these, I'm righteous. If I don't, I'm not. Well, simplistic in its approach. We'll talk about that more in a second. But these commands, they came from sacred texts. These sacred writings, what's ours? Maybe some of you got one in your lap. What's it called? Yeah, that was a, that was a softball. I'm glad you got that one. Thank you. Uh, but, but almost all religious systems, they, they have sacred places and sacred commands that come from sacred texts that are interpreted by sacred men, sometimes women, but mostly it's the dudes. Sacred men get up there, and because they've been educated and went to cemetery and they did all those things, uh, they, they get up, <clears throat> that's what I called it while I was there. Anyway, uh, I'm very appreciative now, but while I was there, whoa, the land of the dead. All right, uh, for me, just me though. Sacred men get up, and they, they, because they, they know, uh, they tell you, here's what it means, and here's what you should do, and, and, and here's, here's how you can get in the graces of God, and here's how you can get out of the graces of God, and here's, they almost become the, the key masters, the, 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 the gatekeepers of your spiritual experience, whatever your religion is, what it, and so in, 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 the, in the Old Testament uh, covenant, uh, who are the, the sacred men? What were they called? Priests, right? The, 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 the Levitical tribe, or Levit, Levites, Leviticals. Um, they were the ones that were in charge. And who are some of the others? Like prophets. There were sacred men who would come and they would speak on behalf of God or they would administer on behalf of God. And, and they were given lots of power and almost the keys to an individual's spiritual experience. Well, then, obviously, you've got to have followers, so you've got sincere followers. But sometimes those sincere followers, depending on the religion, even the Christian religion, they can become superstitious followers. You know, they're, they're not really rooted in in any true belief, they're just kind of functioning in the, in, in the temple model. I'll do what he says because I trust that's what it says. And, and, and if I do that, hopefully everything will work out all right. Sometimes they're even scared followers. You know, they're kind of uh, following whatever their system is in, in fear. That if I don't keep the rules and jump through the right hoops and do all the right things, then uh, the God that I'm worshiping, whether it's Yahweh or whoever else, uh, he's going to smush me like a bug. And this was the nature uh, for most people who were in the Old Covenant. Uh, the Pharisees had, had uh, taken the original ten rules and had created so many other rules that they got up to like 630. And guess, guess who was the most able to keep all the rules? Anybody want to guess? The, the Pharisees. And they had created this system where the rules... Uh, made them righteous because they're the ones who were able to afford what the rules costed and, and the only ones who were you know, pious enough to keep them all. They, they, they saw the rules as something that elevated them, not just to the, to the righteousness that would make them right with God, but to elevated them to a place of superiority over the rest of the Jews. 
That's what religions uh, do. We don't want to be a religion. Religions make leaders uh, arrogant because they hold all the power, right? Uh, Religions make followers hypocrites because they can't keep all the rules. Uh, This is old covenant or temple model thinking. Uh, I saw a bunch of it while I was traveling in India this, this past summer. You go to the temples over there that are uh, built in the names of the, the deities, the, and there's like hundreds, millions of them, uh, but some big ones, you know, have bigger temples, and, and it's like us going to church, except people come in, and they walk up to, you know, it's like it's a small world. Anybody been on that ride at Disney? It's like all these statues and stuff, and they walk up to these statues, and they bow, and they pray to these idols, and they throw money at their feet, and they spend hours just kind of sitting there meditating, looking at a statue. And, uh, you know, you can't go in there, you can't mess with them, because it's India. They'll jack you up. But, uh, uh, but I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, part of me is outraged. I'm like, this is not true. This is false. And then part of me, because I'm just warped like that, I want to laugh. Because this is just so crazy to me. It's so silly. they got to know that somebody's coming by at night and picking up all their money that they're throwing, and they're using it, I don't know, for the grass. I don't know what they're using it for. But, uh, but it's not going to this deity that they're... Yeah, but, but they do it. They come to the temple uh, daily and pray to inanimate objects in hopes that their model will work for them. Uh, some of you might be even listening to me talk about the old covenant or the temple model, and you're thinking, hey, isn't that kind of what we are? Like, we got a sacred place. We're sitting in it, Right? And we certainly do have a sacred text that gives us sacred commands. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. I'm not poo-pooing the sacred commands. Is everybody with me on that? We've got to keep the rules. Okay? They're, they're there for a reason. But I want to help you, as Jesus did, uh, understand their purpose. Certainly there can be sacred men. I've told you all the time since I've been here, uh, 13 years ago I came and I said, listen, don't ever put your faith in me, please. I am not God. And no one who stands before you and speaks in this kind of way that I'm speaking should be elevated in your mind uh, beyond everybody else. Okay? I just got the microphone. That's all this is. All right? And in some churches, the guy on the stage becomes the fourth member of the Trinity for people. And, and, and whatever he says is gospel. And this is how things can get astray real fast. Right? So in some, listen, in some churches today, the temple model still lives. It's all about the rules. It's all about the place. I remember one of my buddies uh, came to Christ when I was 22 years old. I was so ecstatic. It was one of the first times I had a chance to share my faith with one of my friends, and they came to trust Christ, and his name was Brad, and I started discipling him, and he was, he was just so blessedly saved, but so just barely saved. Like, he had lots of rough edges. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he came and served in the youth group that I led, and I had to, I had to tell him, hey, listen, when you're sharing the gospel, don't use cuss words. Right? It was that kind of relationship. It was awesome. Because, <laughs> you know, everything had to be broken down from the beginning. But uh, uh, one day I was, I was just discipling him in my office. We were going to get some lunch, and my office was on this side of that church, and on the other side of was, was his car. And so we were walking through the foyer, going up the stairs of that church into the foyer of that church. And uh, uh, I was walking through there with Brad. Brad's about 6'4. You know, he's, he was a lanky kid back then, but, but he, you know, he's, he's big. 
And uh, from out of the sanctuary, a guy named Keith had, had just been filling in all the, the bulletin, you know, whatever the papers are on the back of your seats and stuff like that. And he came through. Brad was wearing a hat. And this, this old gentleman, who was temple model, through and through, uh, couldn't even see Brad's face because we had passed the door that he came out of. But he said, hey, you take your hat off in the Lord's house. And, you know, Brad looked around. He's like, oh, and quickly takes his hat off. Keith said a few more things. Disrespecting the Lord's house this way. Rah, 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 rah. Should know better. And then, I don't know, went to go punch a puppy. I don't know what he did after that. <laughs> but I had the joy of telling my new Christian friend, Brad, that some people are more fussed out about uh, hats on heads in, holy, in, 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 a, in a building than they are excited about someone coming to Christ. And uh, I kind of grew up in that, or around a lot of that, where people kind of lived in this temple model. Uh, we don't want to do that. We've been saved to a new model, a new covenant. Uh, we don't want to be about just sacred places and sacred uh, commands that lead us in the wrong direction. We don't want to be about sacred men and trusting them too much. We don't uh, want to be a, a sincere but superstitious and scared people. Uh, we want to understand this clearly, and that's what Jesus came to do. In fact, like I said, I'm not getting rid of the, the rules, but this is what Jesus said about the law. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish it. I haven't gone, uh, come to get rid of it. Uh, the law and the prophets, they stay. Uh, I have come not to abolish those things, but to fulfill them. And read there to clarify them. If you read this, this is in the front end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is basically saying, hey, you guys, you got the rules wrong. You think they're here to make you righteous. Uh, they're here to show you that you're not. They're here to show you that you can never be righteous and that you need a Savior. And that's why your faith should be in God and in him alone. He says, listen, I want you to understand, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, that all the rules, they're way tougher than you've made them. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at someone with lust in your eye, it's just like he committed adultery. You've heard it said that you shall not murder. I, I'm telling you, if you call somebody a fool, you just killed the guy. I'm telling you that sin is way, way more dastardly than, than you think it is, and, and you've been really good at kind of lowering the bar. Let me raise it again for you and help you understand what the rules are really meant for. So let's talk about this new covenant model. This Jesus model, it kind of extended or replaced, however you want to put it. It didn't abolish the old covenant, but it, it basically said, Here, here's what we're boiling it down to. The first thing is it's not anymore about sacred places. It's about new people. The new covenant is about new people. It's about uh, Christ residing in us. It's no longer a building that God's presence is in. It's in, in the people that Jesus has saved, that the, the presence of God resides First uh, Corinthians, Paul writing, he says in chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Uh, so glorify God, verse 20, in your body. Why? Because that's where God lives. It's no longer, you know, the, 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 the high-ceilinged, beautiful chapels of Europe or, or the temple in Israel. It's no longer this shrine in India. It's, it's, it's not these places that you need to be concerned with, it's the people. In fact, understand this. 
There's no patch of dirt in the world that's holier than the person to your right or to your left. People are sacred. And not just the Christian ones. God resides in, in, in those who follow Christ in a different way, but God values every person, and every person matters to him. See, the church was never meant to be interpreted as a place. When it says this in Matthew, it says uh, in chapter 16, uh, Jesus and Peter and some of the other disciples have been having a conversation, and Jesus wants to know what everybody, what's the word on the street? Tell me who everybody thinks I am. And they say, well, some think you're a prophet and this and that and all stuff. And then Jesus says, well, Pete, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, right? And, and Jesus says, spot on, Pete, way to go. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, some people think that means Peter's name, Petros, which means rock in Greek, but I think it's actually his confession. On, your, on this truth that you've just said, that I'm the Messiah, guess what? I'm going to build my, and the Greek word is, anybody know? Ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia is this Greek word that in our Bibles now is translated church, and it's why we call this building a church because the actual Greek word, or the actual word there is not an English word, it's a German word, cherche, which means house of God. But that's not what ekklesia means. Ekklesia has nothing to do with a building. If Jesus had wanted to say, I would build my church or my building, it would have said oikos, which was my favorite Greek word. I actually called a guy on my basketball team oikos, which means house, because he was as big as a house. Anyway, uh, but he, he didn't say that. He said ekklesia. Ekklesia is basically a compound Greek word that means uh, called out ones. Ek is the Greek prefix ex, and it means out, and kaleo is the Greek root that ekklesia comes from, and it means called out. It means summoned. And so the church is a group of people who have been summoned out from the regular, out from the culture, and assembled to follow Jesus Christ. In, in, in fact, w William Tyndale, who's one of the first ones to take a shot at translating the uh, ancient manuscripts, manuscripts, manuscripts into English uh, at, the, at the dawn of the printing press by Gutenberg and all these guys, uh, he, he translated this text, and it actually, among other things, was what ended up uh, getting him burned at the stake. Because uh, uh, the people who were uh, wanting the, the, the English uh, text to, to reflect building uh, said, you know, you can't call it. What he called it was a congregation, an assembly. I will build my assembly. I'll build my movement of people. Uh, but everybody who had spent all the money to build the big cathedrals in, in Europe, they're like, no, we've got to keep the churches. And they said, let's put German in the English Bible. Cherish. Uh, we were never meant to be beholders of buildings. I mean, they're nice, don't get me wrong. I like architecture. It's really cool to walk around some of these holy spots, but they're no more holy or not even close to as holy as the person sitting on your right or left. The new covenant's about new people. The new covenant's about a new commandment. We talked about this last week. I'll read you the verse that we studied last week one more time. A new commandment, Jesus says, at that same supper where he talks about the new covenant, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. We talked about this last week. That's an extreme, uh, uh, above-the-norm love. Up to this point, the old covenant had, had elevated uh, rules above love. And it said, just keep the rules. In fact, a lot of the rules were kept in spite of love or, or, or in ways that 
uh, robbed people of opportunities to love. Anybody remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan is this, this example that Jesus gives about loving your neighbor. And someone asks, well, who's my neighbor? And, and he tells this story about a guy who gets beat up on a road coming out of Jerusalem, and, and three guys come past him. Two of them are holy men. And the Bible says that these rule keepers, these old covenant rigid rule keepers, saw this guy beat up on the side of the road. Anybody remember what they did? Anybody remember why? They'd be unclean. There'd be all kinds of things, all kinds of cooties that they would get and that would make them ceremonial unclean. If they helped this guy, they would be infracting or breaking the rules. So they didn't help. And who comes along? The half-breed. A Samaritan. And he's not as tied into the rules, apparently, because he gets down off of his ride and he says, hey, you need some help. And he gives it to him. Without any fanfare, he, he was loathed in the Jewish culture. No one would applaud him. But he does what he does because he understands love. Love is, is, is what God desires. Jesus gets to the end of that story. He says, so who's the neighbor? And all the Jews that were listening to the story are like, the Samaritan. He says, go and do likewise. This is what you're supposed to do. Because, see, Jesus came to explain to people that the rules weren't here to make you righteous. The rules, everybody get this. This might be the only important thing. Well, that's not true. Hopefully it's all important. But this might be the most important thing. The rules, all the rules that you're taught about in the, in the scriptures, they are not here to make you righteous. They are here to guide you in exercising the biggest rule, which is to love God and others. Everybody hear me on that? All the rules are just the manual on how you and I are to love God and others. They're not about us. They're about y'all. They're about the people. They're about honoring God. And when we love others, it's the greatest way in this context, in the life that we live now, it, when we love others, it's the greatest way for us to show love for our God. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, your devotion to God is demonstrated and authenticated by your love for others. Remember we read that last week in the New Commandment? It, said, it says there that uh, you should love one another as Jesus loves, and then it says at the end, and if, and if you love, they'll know that you're Christians by your love. It's your, it's your calling card. It's, it's, it's your sign of, of the presence of Christ in you. Your love for others is what will demonstrate your love for God. I, I put it another way, say it this way, the best way to show love for God is to love our one another's. The best way to show our love for God is to love our one another's. Some of you are getting a little nervous. You're like, well, shouldn't we love God? I mean, shouldn't we be devoted to God? Shouldn't I, you know, come to church and sing songs to him and, and turn my heart towards him and, 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 you know, do my quiet time and do all these things. It's just me and God. Sure, absolutely. I'm not saying don't do those things, but don't make your Christian faith only about those things because your devotion to God, your connection to God is best illustrated and best authenticated and best demonstrated in your love for his kids. My children, 
matter to me. Yours matter to you? Anybody like their kids? Yeah. And, and if you want to show that you care for me, guess what? You, you care for one of my kids. If you do for one of my kids, if you provide for one of my kids, I remember one time uh, I, I was supposed to pick up a kid from school and I forgot. Has anybody ever done that? That's horrible, right? That Father of the Year award just went right out the window. Um, and then uh, uh, another person from the church uh, was picking up their kid, and they saw my kid, and, uh, you know, it was like the last person to be picked up, him and this other kid. And she says, you know, is your dad coming? He's supposed to. <laughs> he says, well, listen, it's late, and I don't want to leave you here alone. Hop in the car. I'll, I'll drive you to your house. Can you tell me where your house is? And he knew, you know, it wasn't weird, stranger danger or anything like that. They knew each other. And, uh, and so the kid was like, yeah, my kid was like, okay. And I got home, and of course, uh, you know, it wasn't okay that I'd forgotten to pick up my kid. But <laughs> was it great, though, that someone had taken the time to look and say, yeah, I'll help you, buddy. And am I forever beholden to that person? I mean, he might have been a dirtbag, or she might have been a dirtbag otherwise, but she helped my kid. Wasn't it the same with our God? I think God cares about his kids. I think it matters to God how we treat each other because if, if we treat his children, the ones that he's created, his kids, in a loving way, doesn't it say to him that we love him as well? Jesus kind of summarized this when he was telling a, a story about the end of, of time uh, in Matthew 25, which I hope we have this morning. I had 22 last night. That was fun. That is not the right chapter for this. Anyway, uh, that was my fault. When the Son of Man, it says, uh, Jesus says, uh, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So if you've heard anything about how things are going to end, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to sit down on his glorious throne. He's going to be crowned the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He already is, but he'll, he'll, everybody will know that that's who he is. And before him will be gathered all the nations from all of time. Everybody will be in their resurrected forms, and so every human that's ever lived will come before Christ, and he's going to separate people one from another as a separate, uh, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And everybody listening to this story from Jesus were like, oh, yeah, totally. I got sheeps and goats and sheeps, sheep, sheep eye. Anyway, uh, uh, I got all these animals, and I totally know what you mean. You want the, the, the sheep here and the goats there, and so they're all following them. And uh, it goes on, and it says and, and that Jesus, or the king, will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say uh, to those on his right, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. The kingdom that I prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Eternity's been waiting for you. Come on in. It's yours. And all the sheep, which I pray all of us are on the right side, all the sheep are like, well, cool, awesome, great, I get to go in. I wonder what made that happen. And we're probably going to throw out our theology and all the things that we think, you know, are justifying us to be able to be a part uh, of the kingdom of God. But but Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'll just tell you why you're coming in. Because uh, I was hungry, and you gave me food. Now, now picture people at that, uh, at that you know, momentous occasion. We're standing there. Uh, we're all in line. And uh, he says that I was hungry and you gave me food. Maybe we hadn't read this text before, and we're like, I don't remember feeding Jesus. Do you remember feeding Jesus? I mean, I just met him just now. It's not like I you know, had a chance to have him over for dinner. He goes on and he says, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I don't remember sharing my water bottle with Jesus. I, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Oh, listen, 
I mean, I, I understand about invitations. I mean, I had to receive the invitation to receive Christ, and I invited Jesus into my heart, but I don't remember having you over at my house. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. He says, then the righteous will answer him. They're going to have the same kind of questions. Lord, what? When did that happen? When did I see you hungry and feed you? And when did I see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did you see a stranger and or when did I see you as a stranger and welcome you? And when did I clothe you when you were naked? When did uh, I see you uh, as a sick or, or as a, an imprisoned person and, and visit you? He says, when? And, and if you know the text, you know what Jesus says. Jesus says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. See, people get confused in the old covenant and the old temple model about the rules. They think the rules are all about them being made righteous before God. And the rules aren't about us being made righteous before God. That, that's completely secondary. The rules are about us honoring or loving the people that God wants us to love. Like, like the, the Bible says, tell the truth. Anybody heard that one? The Bible says, tell the truth. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, do not lie one to another. That's pretty black and white. That's not a whole lot of, you can't wiggle on that one, okay? Don't lie. Everybody agree that's a good rule? Okay, and, and if I said to you, the Bible says don't lie, most of us, good Christians, we would say, yep, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, done. I shouldn't lie. But we would, if we stopped there, we would fail to understand that the reason that God says not to lie is what? Don't lie because your lies are going to hurt people. Isn't that true? Our lies... Our deceit, our withholdings of truth, eventually affect our relationships with people. See every extramarital affair that's ever happened. Uh, see every kid who's ever gotten in trouble at his house. Deceit removes love. And that's why it's a rule. It's not a rule because God was up in heaven saying, like, well, let's throw out some rules. Let's, okay, don't lie. Don't lie. That's a good one. Put it in the book. And then we'll just make all of our followers not lie. No. Every rule has a reason. How about this one? Uh, it says in the Bible not to have, uh, have sex before marriage. Save sex for marriage. It actually says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, uh, leave the marriage bed undefiled. Do not defile the marriage bed. Again, pretty clear. Don't knock the boots until you are married. Are you with me? And in our world, that's just like, oh, that's just so old-fashioned, and that's so past. I mean, what about Tinder? And, you know, I mean, all this. I mean, there's so many great ways to get this, you know, rule broken. And, uh, you know, why, why would we continue to follow all of these things that, you know, just seem so staid and so rigid? Um, it, it's just not practical. We throw out things like it's consensual. Can, can I just put the consensual thing to bed real quick? Uh, St Stanley said this in his talk, too. He said, listen. If, two if your two kids came up to you and said, you know what, we've talked about it, and we both decided it's totally okay with, for, with, with both of us for each other to poke out to each other's eyes. And it's okay because it's consensual. My brother says it's okay for you know, me to poke out his eye, and I'm totally fine with him poking out my eye. Okay, is anybody picking up how stupid that is? If it's wrong, if it's going to be harmful, it doesn't matter if you both agree to it, it's wrong. I thought that was pretty good. And so, uh, 
We, we read this in the Bible, and maybe some of us, we're just holding on for dear life, trying to save ourselves from marriage because the Bible tells me so. And listen, that's enough. I'm not saying that that's not enough. But I want you to, I want you to equate the rules with the people. The, the reason that we don't go spreading ourselves around physically one with another before marriage is because every time we do that, we leave a little piece of ourselves, we literally leave a little piece of regret, a little story that has to be told to the person that we actually marry, a little uh, memory that's going to be in our minds as we compare ourselves to the one that we actually marry. And so when God gives the rule, he's saying, I'm trying to preserve love between people. I'm trying to protect you from becoming someone else's story. The Bible says, to be generous. Everybody agree with that? Yeah. It says in 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I mean, how can you say you have the love of God and not be generous? That's why it's so great to see so many of the great stories that are going on over there in Houston as people are recovering from this hurricane. Um, just people who have lost everything going and help other helping other people who have lost everything. And I don't know if they're all Christians. I'm sure they're not. Uh, but when that happens in humanity, just so you know, the image of God in us rises up to the top. For all the people who uh, were created in the image of God and who may spend their whole lives downplaying that, sitting their brains out, disbelieving in God, when they become uh, the, the protectors of people in peril, they are living out the image of God. Why? Because the image of God, the character of God, is to be generous, to give, to be kind, to love. That's why our hearts are so warmed and our tears flow and we uh, you know, see shows where people are being generous and giving and, and caring for people. But why does it say to be generous? Why does the Bible say be generous? Because God says so. No. Being generous is one of the greatest ways to love. It's one of the greatest ways to show that you're more important to me than I am to me right now. And, 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 and so I'm going to sacrifice my time, my treasures, my efforts so that you can have, so that you can be blessed. I want to love you by giving to you. That's why Paul tells givers to be cheerful, man. And not be, you know, not, not, not like fake tear. I'm so glad to be helping you, but I wish I was watching football. But that legitimate cheer. And what makes us cheerful when we're giving? The reminder that this isn't just me keeping the rules and checking off something on my list. This is me loving as Jesus loves. Are you with me? I think this revolutionizes uh, our faith if we can get it. Like, like, it might just be this simple. You know, this, this, this new covenant that are, is comprised of new people who are living out this new commandment. They, they, they come to this new ethic, this new way to live, this simpler way to live. And the simple way to live is, is to just live, live asking this question, what does love require of me? In this situation, in this circumstance, what does love look like? How do I love people? Now listen, I'm not saying throw out the rule book. I'm not saying that the, that the scriptures don't matter. They totally do. But if, if, if what I'm saying is true, that, that the rules that God gives us, the commands that he gives us, are commands that will funnel and shape our love, our love for him and our love for others, then isn't this the big question? Isn't this why Jesus said when asked what's the greatest commandment? Love. Love the Lord your God. Love others. He said every other commandment falls under this. Isn't this the big question? And so when it comes to your, your marriages, 
You want to be a good Christian in your marriage? What does love require? When it comes to being parents, you want to be a good parent? What does love require? Doing your jobs, being in the world, just driving down 60. What does love require? And then you do it. And all of a sudden, we're knocking it out because we're loving as Jesus loves. We're loving one another. And people will know that we're Christians by our love. That's all I wanted to share with you today. That this new covenant is in contradiction in some ways, in lots of ways, but it's, in, it's this completion of the old covenant. And, and to now, we're, we're going to just celebrate this new covenant that Jesus told us to, to remember him by, this, this taking of the bread uh, that had for 1,400 years been about one thing in the Passover, and this taking of this cup that for 1,400 years had represented something else. He said, no, I'm flipping the script. I want you to remember that this is now about the, the sacrifice that I'm going to give you, my body broken, my blood shed. And as the band comes out, uh, we're, we're going to prepare our hearts to take this. And, and I don't know what you think of when you get ready to take communion. I don't know, you know, you're, certainly we should prepare our hearts, we should confess our sins, we should make sure that there's, there's anything between us and God, you know, we square it, right? Because the Bible says if you're at the altar and you remember that there's, you know, something wrong, you know, go, does everybody remember what the Bible says? The altar says that if you're, or the Bible says that if you're at the altar and you have something wrong between you and who? Your brother. So wait a minute, not you and God. There's something wrong here. Well, you get up and leave it. God will wait. And you go fix what's wrong. I mean, do you think that people matter to God and how we love them matters to God? So I want you to think as you're getting ready to take communion and as the band comes out, (laughs) I want you to be thinking about how are we, uh, by we I mean you're one another's, how are we? How, how are my relationships with people? What do I need to confess to God and then go make right so that I can be a lover of my one another's? And I pray for us to be able to do that. God, we're just going to silence our hearts. And we're just going to be, uh, as, as the, everybody's getting ready to pass out these elements, we're, we're going to collect these things and everybody's going to be given some bread and some, uh, some juice to, to, to commemorate. Uh, your sacrifice, but as we as we reflect on your sacrifice, may it go way past us and just what you did for us, because our faith can become so uh, me-centered, God. Help it to go beyond me to how uh, you want me to love others, that you saved me, not just so that I could go to heaven, but so that I could be used by you in the life of others. Teach us what it is to simply ask this question, what does love require of me? Thanks for loving us enough send your son to die for us, Father. Thanks for loving us, Jesus, and making that sacrifice as we reflect on it today. Show us your love and how it should look in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Paul tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and broke it. After he had given thanks, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Father, as we close this time together, I want to thank you one more time for the sacrifice that Christ made for us. It's, it's true that at the cross, um, that you, you made the difference in our lives. I'm in awe of you, and we do owe all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to die for our sins. But now that we live in this life with you, teach us that love is what matters most to you, that the rules are to help us to love each other and to help you or help us love you the, the best that we can. Set us loose to doing that in our homes and in our marriages and our jobs and wherever we go. Uh, let people know that we're following you by the way that we love them. And uh, Use us, God, for your glory, I pray. A blessing over these families uh, gathered here. And, and, and I thank you for a great chance to worship you this, this morning. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody said? God bless you. If you've got the day off tomorrow, have a good one. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next time.